Welcome to Right Thinking with Steve Copeland. I'm your host, Steve Copeland, and thank you for tuning in. Let's have a great day. Good morning, everybody. Glad to be with you. Well, I hope everybody had a wonderful 4th of July last week. I know that I did, and I hope you had a chance to listen to the show that I air around 4th of July, Reflections on Freedom. And... um, I, I just keep thinking it whenever I say that, I think things like uh, Lee, Lee Greenwood song, I'm proud to be an American. Well, so right now today is going to be a real special treat. I, I've got a, I've got a friend of mine that I met a couple months ago through the coronavirus uh, pandemic where Dave Richards that y'all have heard many times with me uh, was doing some uh, volunteer charitable work to try to help people navigate through the, uh, through the stimulus package called the cares package. And, um, and there was this young man that was part of the group that we did that um, I was incredibly impressed with. And um, so let me just go right into what today's show is, and I will introduce you to this young man. And we're going to have a very candid conversation to see where it goes. This is episode 178, Right Thinking with Steve Copeland. is very pleased to announce that this week's show is called The Reason to Help with guest Igor Vassifier. Tune in and hear Steve and Igor, a first-generation American, have a heartwarming conversation about people helping people. Igor is living a life of giving to others because of how others gave to him. Igor will inspire you to be a person more committed than ever before to give of yourself to others. Well, Igor, are you with me? I am. It's a pleasure to be with you, Steve. Oh, Igor, you, you know, because we, we started talking a lot and enjoying each other that it's, it's my pleasure. And thanks for agreeing to do this. Let, let me just say a little more about why I asked you to be on the show. Um, I'm trying to bring people that are a little bit younger than me, and that's not going to be too hard. Uh, this show is going to air on Monday, the uh, Monday, the 13th. But uh, we're pre-recording it. Tomorrow's my 69th birthday. So uh, I'm roughly seven times as old as you. <laughs> happy birthday happy early birthday yeah well thank you very much no but i but i've had some people on that are like of a younger generation uh my son andrew he's 34 and he did a he did an incredible show that he came on i used him as a role model and uh, and then sophia janoskali she was on and uh, and she andrew's 34 and Sophia's going to be 22 uh in about a month and, and she thought that Andrew was of a different generation. And so I got a lot to learn about generations. So, so, you know, you're, you're just a little younger than Andrew, but, but you are a role model that, that didn't seek out to be that in my mind, you just, everything that I've done with you has been that you are a role model. I mean, when we did that, that cares work with Dave Richards, you know, you were like the legal expert to help navigate, help people to navigate through the stimulus package. And, um, and I I was, I was incredibly impressed with, uh, with the way you, your knowledge, the way you handle yourself. But I could tell right away that it's not about head knowledge. It's about heart knowledge. And so as I got to know you more, I'm finding out that, that there's a beautiful story that you bring to the table. And, um, and following up from last week's show that I've aired three three times now, and I 
I did it in 2017, right around 4th of July, Reflections on Freedom. And and I, I just really loved it that I was able to express myself through that show. And then I didn't air it in 18, but I aired it in 2019. And then this last 4th of July, I said, you know, I want to I do it again because it's, it's just kind of timely right now, you know, because a lot of people have different views on what it is to be an American. And so that's kind of my, my lead into your background. What I learned about you is, is that you're a first generation American and that, you know, your parents um, immigrated and you were, were you two years old when you came to America? Right. I was two when I came. Well, um, I could ask you a lot of questions just to open it up, but why don't I, why don't I just let you talk about how you came to America? Um, there, there's a movie, you know, I'm into comedy a little bit here and it's Eddie Murphy's coming to America, I guess. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sure that you, uh, you've seen that a couple of times. Right, right. It's not as dramatic as that. Uh, but so my family came here when I was two, right after the fall of the Soviet Union. Um, we are Jewish. And right after the fall of the Soviet Union, Jews were not um, not particularly liked in the country that I was born in. So the Federation, the Jewish Federation that I now volunteer with in Hampton Roads came and plucked us out, uh, brought us here. Um, and from there, there's, you know, an interesting story about, you know, how my family made it in America. Um I'd be happy to share if, if that's something of interest. Yeah. Oh, it's of great interest. I, I really want to, I really want to stay. It could be the whole show. If we go there, I really want to stay on, on you coming to America as an immigrant that made your way here and how your parents made their way here. And, and let's just keep on it. Sure. Sure. So my, my father came here when he was 35, he had a middle school education, didn't speak a lick of English. <laughs> I was the first person in our family to speak English. And he started as a day laborer, making two bucks an hour. Cause he didn't know what minimum wage was. They just, you know, they paid him whatever they thought appropriate. Um, and he started doing that and he said, well, you know, my English is starting to get a little better. I can say hello, goodbye, you know, talk numbers. So he said, I'll be a pizza delivery guy. <laughs> started um started driving driving around you know a lot of our meals were pizza because we couldn't afford much else at the time um because you know, we came with four hundred dollars which you know with back back then it was a little bit more than it is now but still uh and he started noticing americans loved cars so he said well i'll go to the auto auction and start buying him cars so he bought you know 10 15 cars and put them in our front yard um, obviously the city of Norfolk didn't uh, look kindly upon that and, uh, neither did the neighbors. So they said, you know, you can't do this. He says, well, what do I do now? I guess I have to rent a place. So he saved up and saved up and he eventually, uh, was able to afford leasing, uh, space. And at that point, whether or not he realized it or not, he had started an auto dealership. <laughs> so at that point he found uh, a mechanic buddy, another, another Russian guy. My dad was a sales guy mechanic, you know, fixed up the cars when they came from the auction and they opened up two, three, four, um, dealerships. So that, that's sort of how we got our foothold in, uh, in America. And that was over the course of 10, 15 years. But, um, that's, that's the general gist. Let, let me, let me go back to that for a minute, because there's a whole lot that you just spoke to that I really am curious about. Um, but a whole lot more that I want to ask you too. Okay. So your father just sort of started, he became an entrepreneur. He's a self-made man. And y'all came with $400. So, yep. so, but you had help from, from the uh, Jewish Federation. Yep. And um, so they gave you a, a place to stay when you first got here. Yep. We were lucky enough for them to give us a place to stay furniture. Uh, they guided us around and said, you know, this is a store, you know, stores were totally different in Moldova. It just, 
everything about this country was uh, was alien to them. For example, they were driving. They were driving. I forget where they were driving to, but it was uh, there were geese walking across the street. And they said, what? why aren't we shooting these geese? This could be dinner. And the Americans with them were like, no, you can't do that here. So everything was alien to them. Well, you were too, so you don't really know. I was going to ask. These were all told to me, yeah. Yeah, you were, right. too, you were too young. But, well, so Moldova. Um, so I, I researched and Googled a lot about Moldova. And uh, there's a couple things that are across path a little bit here. So Moldova is over there near... Um, so uh, the countries that Moldova is, is near is Romania and uh, Hungary. Is that right? It's right over there next to them. It's sandwiched between Romania and Ukraine. And the Ukraine. Yeah. Well, the history of Moldova is tragic. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that country has been trampled on by every everybody there ever was. And and the saddest thing that I read about it was that it's the lowest. Uh, uh, poverty country in Europe. I mean, this is a poor country. The, the, the word, the word that I read though, I, I, I took some notes on it. Yeah. It says right here that, um, the, it's the 60% of the nation's GMP comes from the service sector. It's the poorest country in Europe per capita, and it has the lowest human development index in the continent. Right. So that means that the human development, it means that upward mobility is negative. No. I mean, negative. I'm not laughing. I'm just saying tragic. It's poorer than a lot of African countries, so. Well, yeah. Um, some of the countries that, that came through Moldova back in the day were the Romanians, the Russians, the Ukrainians, the Germans, the Bulgarians, the Poles. And and here's a here's one that the Gagozes, G A G A U Z E S. Have you heard of them? I have not. Yeah, the names of all the people that were the generals and the Ottomans and all, you know the Ottoman Empire. The, I mean, it goes back into like like eleven hundred and before. It's a constant history. It's like it's like a crossroads, and so they were very anti-Semitic there, and um, yeah. persecuted Jews. So when you had the opportunity, when your dad somehow and your mom hooked up with the Jews in Norfolk, y'all, y'all grabbed that opportunity. You came with next to nothing and they gave you a new home. And two things, Poland and Lithuania are in the history over there. And all of my ancestors on both my father's and my, my mother's side, my grandparents, not my father's generation, but the generation before, came from Poland and Lithuania. So I, Eastern Europe, I, you know, that's where my blood is also. And um, so then when you got here, the Jewish Federation took you to Temple Israel on Granby Street, if I'm correct. Right, Rabbi Panitz uh, and all them, which I know you're familiar with. Well, yeah, I want to talk about that for a minute. Rabbi Panitz is an incredibly beautiful human being. Yep. And when he first came to Temple Israel, I, I was very, very fortunate to become very, very close friends with him for a number of years. And, and we spent a lot of time together. And, uh, and he is absolutely one of the most brilliant men, a scholar, got one of the most beautiful hearts. And he's very, very active in, in, in the community with all religions to try to do what, correct me on this word. Uh, what's the word when it's a blend of all religions, like the, econ, uh, it's not economical, the ecumenical. 
They, they have ecumenical councils, which are, 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 are representative by different, different religions. And I remember that I was a participant with him and we, we did one that, that had, had Temple Israel and, and I think it was a Catholic church and a Baptist church and we'd have congregational services together so we could kind of meet other people. And, and I absolutely love that. He, he's just a beautiful guy. I, I learned so much from him and I studied in a group with him the book of Numbers, the Old Testament, they don't they don't call them elders or whatever, but some of the some of the seniors that were some of the most well-respected people in the congregation. Um, every Tuesday morning, every Tuesday morning, uh, we would meet at nine and go till about eleven, eleven thirty, and and we studied the book of Numbers in the Old Testament line by line. There are about seven or eight of us in that group, and I was just so fortunate to be part of that group, but we studied the book of numbers for two years, line wow. by line. And it was just an amazing thing. But I'll tell you one thing. I'll tell you exactly when it was nine 11. Mm. We were in there studying when the woman that ran the office came in and interrupted and told, and told red by panics to come out. And she told, she talked about, she told him that nine 11 had just happened. That the towers had just been uh, attacked. And I will never forget my whole life sharing that moment with Rabbi Pennant. So, so, so we're talking about America, freedom, 9-11, our country was attacked. So, so I brought you up to the current here. So your dad was an entrepreneur, a hardworking man, and, um, and he started his own car dealership by just buying cars and selling them and, and, and working on that. So what did that have to do with your upbringing that made you we haven't told people what you do yet. I just let them know you're a lawyer, but right. you're a, you're a business lawyer. You're a, you're an entrepreneur. You help people start their own businesses. Can you talk about that part? Then we'll go back to your childhood a little bit, if you don't mind. Sure. So it's one of the most important lessons I learned early on with, with my father's business was the value of partnerships, the value of setting up partnerships the right way, because what happened to him was his mechanic, uh, who was also his partner was ordering parts that he didn't need. So for example, he needed an axle. He would order two axles, return that other axle and uh, get, the, get, get a check for that. Right. So he was embezzling. So from, from a very young age, I was like, I became aware that, <laughs> you know, partnerships don't always work and you need to set them up in a way that they do work. So that, I mean, tons of experiences just like that inform what I do now. And, my dad had an interesting reaction to that. Probably not fully legal at the time, but <laughs> he liquidated the entire dealership that day, uh, sold it all to a wholesaler and moved on to a, a different career. But, um, you know, growing up in small business, you, you recognize that it's, it's not always as easy as it looks from the outside. You know, um, it can quickly turn on you and it's all about planning and thinking through being thoughtful about, um, about how you're setting things up. I, I could not agree with you more on what you just spoke about. Um, as you know, you know, I'm a, I'm an entrepreneur myself and I started out in accounting. Well, that's the, that's what I got my degree in, but I started out, I guess I got my degree in, I was 20, 24 years old, but I mean, I started out about 17 or 18 years earlier that when I was working. So, but my, but my degree was in accounting, but, but, you know, I teach entrepreneurship and being help people be self-employed and I've had a lot of businesses, but, you're exactly right about partnership. And, and so I'm going to give a piece of advice that I hope gives you some business. Anybody 
that is going to go into business for themselves and they're trying to save money, cut corners, just do as much as they can themselves to get it up and running. In the long run, you are going to just hurt yourself if you don't make sure that you have very, very good, competent legal counseling along the way. You have to do things the right way. If you don't do it the right way, it is guaranteed to come back to haunt you. And uh, so I've had partnerships and uh, I had a partner once in a very large business deal and he had a, he had a terrible reputation. And I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to give too many clues because somebody that might, might put it together, know who I'm talking about, but um, um, I'm not going to identify, but he had a terrible reputation and I took care of all the relationships and, and I was thanked by everybody. I'm so glad I'm dealing with you, Steve, and not him. And cause that person, you know, backed out of every single deal, whatever he felt like doing, he did. And he had money and he had power, but I had some pretty good lawyers put the deal together and, and thank God I did because if I hadn't, I, I would have spent a lot of years working in a deal that uh, it wouldn't have ended up the way it should have. Uh, so bottom line is, is that it's okay to have a legal agreement between close friends also. And, and I'll let you explain that. I, I can explain it. Cause I mean, my lawyer, Todd Preddy is just a, a, a wonderful lawyer also, but, but a lot of people don't want to pay for lawyers, but they think nothing's ever going to go wrong. So how about talking about that aspect of being a lawyer and, and examples, whatever you want to give to where best friends sometimes don't end up where they thought they were. And if they didn't have a proper partnership agreement, the right legal documents in place, uh, a disaster happened. Right. I, most of our clients are more mature businesses. Um, but my friends come to me from time to time and say, Hey, I want to do this. I want to do that. Um, and they often, the partner's often a friend because that's who, you know, that, you know, who else would you find as a partner? It, it, you know, um, and oftentimes there's a, a lot of tension, you know, who's, I often say, you know, one person has to be in charge and they're thinking it's going to be 50, 50 the whole way. And it's, that's, that you might be able to do a really small operation that way for some period of time. But at the end of the day, usually <laughs> there has to be a decision maker. Otherwise it, it just creates a whole nother set of set of messes. Um, and I had recently a friend of a friend, she will, I won't give any details on this either, but she, she came into a small business with her best friend. You know, she showed me the text when they started the business, it was all lovey dovey. They just did a common law partnership, no lawyers involved. And two years later, accusations start flying around. All of a sudden, one person locks the other person out of this. They're, they're, it's just this huge mess. And she comes to me and she says, well, how do I untangle this? And I said, well, we're looking at, you know, at least $15,000 of legal time to, to really, if you, if you want to meet the objectives that, you, that you're telling me that you want. Um, and I was like, you know, the value of the business is like two or three thousand dollars. You shouldn't do this. Um, it, it was, you know, I was like, don't, don't even consider this. She's like, but I'm mad. And I was like, well, let's talk tomorrow, you know, because <laughs> people have to. But I was just, she comes to me the next day and she's like, how much would have this have cost us to just set it up the right way? It's like, I don't know, five hundred bucks. <laughs> you know, um, so it's it's getting people, and and usually what happens, and we've seen this a couple of times, is the first time people don't do it right they get burned. And then the second time they come in and they, they get a lawyer or, or they set things up the right way to succeed. But usually the first time, at least from what I've seen, maybe you've seen something else, they'll do it wrong and they'll learn from it. And then um, they understand the value of the work that I'm you know putting in. Oh yeah. 
One of the things that, that you sort of hinted around at that's there is if you set it up wrong and the person that didn't work out as your partner, you have to be very, very careful that you don't end up paying bills, assume liabilities, because you want to keep your good name intact. You're going to keep your credit. And, and in some business deals, the other person knows that they're going to take advantage of the, of the person that has the better character. If you're a person of good character and you have a bad partner, you risk that they might walk out on you and know that you're going to, you're going to take care of everything because they know that you're that kind of person. And, and so that's one of the worst worst situations that a person can be in is somebody taking advantage of you embezzling or, or, or stealing from the company that, that you're, you're in with the partnership. But, but so let's, let's stay on that for a minute. Cause that's a very deep point that I'm trying to make that you're expert at. You can't go into business without having good credit. Uh, you're always going to need credit. I mean, you can go into business, but your, your chances of success are going to be very, very small. And so, I mean, you need credit when you're in business, you need, you need to have people that will, uh, will work with you because something might happen and you got to end up relying on some credit, you know, uh, things out of your control. And so the example I gave, maybe you can reach deep into your, into your memory bank here. Do you know anybody that had to pay bills for a long time because they had a bad deal that they got stuck with? Um, I was talking about, yeah. Yeah. You say, yeah, you do. Yeah. If you, you can get into, yeah, I can think of, uh, yeah. Well, I don't need any names, but what, <laughs> I'm, what I'm saying is this. Um, in all my teachings, I teach character and integrity. I try to help people get to where they have good character and integrity. They rebuild their credit or they establish credit, keep it good. Sometimes they have to rebuild it. But, but I just try to caution people that you can't just go into business with an idea. Um, talk about when you help somebody set up a business, what's the process that you put them through? We might as well give some good business advice here to people that want to want to get out there and work for themselves. So, so quickly going back to a point that you made before about having to pay the obligations of someone else. Usually when people are just sort of doing things on the fly, what they'll do is it'll be like you and me, we're, we're Steve and Igor going into business. We're selling, uh, you know, hot dogs on the street. So we've created whether or not we know it, a common law partnership, right? So any obligation that I take, if I buy a billion hot dogs, you owe 50% of that, no matter what. Uh, and you can actually owe up to hundred percent. So that's the prototypical deal that people usually do if they don't know what's going on. Um, and that is extremely dangerous. Um, and so going back to what you were just talking about, when you start a business, you want to avoid that. <laughs> you want to set up an entity, whether it's a corporation or an LLC. Um, usually it's going to be an LLC for most people. And moving from idea to action is the whole, you're, you're lifting a mountain, right? Because everyone has ideas. You know, everyone has their, their billion dollar idea, but, but putting it, putting pen to paper, and this is something we've talked about elsewhere, helps you recognize where your problems are. I got a call from a guy that I met who said, I want to buy uh, 250 unit, uh, multifamily, uh, apartments. So I did, you know, the math and I, just quick math. And I was like, we're talking about $20 million. I was like, so how are you, do you have access to credit or anything? He's like, Oh no, we'll figure that out. <laughs> I was just like, well, you know, well, let me know when you do, but 
everyone has an idea. It's but putting pen to paper helps you say, okay, so I need $20 million. How am I going to get that? <laughs> and you get to see those gaping holes in your thoughts well before you need anyone else to be involved. That's a good example. Not very many people can think of in terms of putting together a $20 million deal. Um, I, I did, I did a deal that was a $20 million deal and I did it uh, when I owned my Marina down in ocean view. And, um, I worked on it for a couple years and, um, and I had a bank give me a, a, a approval letter, but it was contingent upon me pre-selling uh, at the Marina that I had down in ocean view. I worked closely with the city of Norfolk and it was going to be a signature building. And it was going to be a, uh, on the front, on the ground level was going to be a coffee shop similar to a Starbucks. Starbucks didn't want to come down there at the time, but it was another coffee shop that was a, uh, like a, a regional coffee shop that was, was really good. And so they were ready to do it. And then I, I, I had the parking and then it was going to be a condominium with penthouses on the top. And, uh, and so it was a good financial model selling penthouses and having a coffee shop and all this stuff. And so uh, BB&T Bank uh, was, was our bank of record back then. And um, so they gave me an approval for a $20 million loan, but it was contingent upon pre-selling 80% of the units. So, so I, had a, I had an opportunity and I made presentations. I did a lot of things and um, I got a national architectural firm involved. And uh, this is a real quick one here. Um, I had a fixed contract of $25,000 for the architectural work. That's awesome. And they billed me for 75,000. And, um, and, and so I complained in the first level that I, uh, that I went to said, well, they, they kept track of the hours and uh, this is how much it is. And I said, I can't, I'm not paying it because I have a fixed contract. And uh, the guy that was working on it loved the project and he just got real into it and did a whole lot of work. But um, so I, I finally just, I paid him the 25,000. I mean, I had some startup money that we got into this with, with some partners. But what I'm trying to say is, is that you made a great point. You've got to know where the money's gonna come from and that it's a feasible model because otherwise you're gonna put your life savings into something and then it's not gonna happen and you're not gonna know why. So the importance of a business plan in writing, and I teach, I teach a whole business plan course on all the benefits of a, why you have to do it. And, uh, and so thank you, for, thank you for bringing that up. So the project never happened because we had a, we had a recession in the economy and luckily I, uh, I hadn't committed to it. I was doing really well though. I, I had pre-sold about 60% of the units, but we were unable to finish because it was 2008, by the way. Yeah. 2008. So we had a recession and luckily I hadn't, hadn't broke ground and I was able to walk away from the deal. So, okay, let's go back to your childhood though. You're, you're a, a two year old that comes to America with your, with your, with your parents who, who had an opportunity to, to leave, leave, uh, the Russian, the, uh, so the Eastern European lifestyle where they were anti-Semitic there. And you came here and you got help from the uh, Jewish Federation. You went to Temple Israel. And um, so how about your mom though? How about your mom? What's she doing along all this? She's doing odds and ends. You know, she, she was a maid for a long time, um, which uh, was good and bad for me because she made me keep my room super you know, sparkling clean. But uh, you know, uh, that's, you know, she, neither one of my parents really had any skills, could really barely speak English. Um, so, you know, they were resigned to, to, you know, do those jobs, but they were always, they never, 
after a couple of years, they, they stopped working for people because they recognize that that's the way to financial freedom. Even if you're a maid, if you're working for yourself, you can still make a lot of money an hour. Um, so that's, that's sort of, uh, that sort of was her direction. Okay. So was your mom a good cook? <laughs> she, I, I, if she ever listens to this, I have to say yes. So. <laughs> oh, that's not right. That's not right. I mean, I mean, she brought a lot of recipes with her. I hope. Uh, yes, yeah, she sure did. Yeah. So what, so what was your favorite dish, whether she cooked a lot of good dishes or not? What was your favorite dish that your mom gave you? Uh, borscht, which is uh, beet soup, essentially, with cabbage and, and potatoes, and you put sour cream on top. Oh, I love borscht. Um, yeah. now, now, do you know why I like beets? Why is that? Beets me. <laughs> yeah, I thought I'd get that in real quick. Yeah, so so you came, you came to America. Um so you, you did listen to my reflections of freedom. Do, yeah. do, you have, do you have any takeaways on, on anything that I brought forth on that show? Um, well, what, what are your, what are your takeaways from it? And I can comment on. Oh, you didn't like it. <laughs> I, I mean, I think I agree with the, the general gist. Oh, wow. Okay. Land of opportunity. That's, that's the first statement that I'm going to throw at you is, yeah. is America in your life experience, a land of opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the things, that's one of the central ideas of, you know, that, that makes up who I am. If you want to do something, you generally have the opportunity. Um, and the upward mobility that we have here is, um, is remarkable. A lot of my uh, immigrant friends went on to do and are doing, uh, you know, amazing things right now. Um, and they started just where I started with, with, you know, nothing, no connections, no, <laughs> you know, no pedigree. Um, and there, and I think if you set your mind to it, no matter where you start, um, you have those opportunities available. To you. Well, that's good. I, 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 I like to pass that on to everywhere I go that if you're willing to, uh, if you're willing to work hard and, um, uh, and, um, uh, and do it the right way, do it the right ways, the important words there, do it the right way. You can't just get out and have a hustle and expect to be successful in life. You've got to, you've got to treat people right. You got to be honest in all your dealings and, uh, and you got to consult people, surround yourself with people that, that are, that are doing things the right way. So that's a good thing. Yeah. Well, so, um, yeah, the whole idea of, of, of America and reflections on freedom, um, the second thing that I want to say to you then, since uh, you're, you're making me tell you why it was a good show, just, <laughs> just teasing. Um, a lot of people's definition of freedom is different than mine. What is your definition of freedom? So let's turn it back on you since you want me to, you know, you're a lawyer, you get paid to speak, but I'm not paying you. <laughs> right. I'll bill you later. Um, freedom. <laughs> Well, I think there, there are different types of freedom, right? There's, you know, political freedom, there's economic freedom, there is um, social freedom. Um, and I think in America, you generally have, and we're not going to get into politics, but you generally have a lot of each of those. Um, you know, I I went to, um, you know, a private school in, in Norfolk that was uh, filled with people that were, you know, you know, people that are wealthy and, and uh, have great reputations and own, you know, businesses. And, but those people uh, accepted me with open arms. You know, there was no, just because I wasn't a member of the yacht club, you know, that didn't mean they looked down upon me. Um, they, you know, they were 
all great friends. And I think that is that sort of social freedom, which results in, um, I think a lot of satisfaction, uh, is, is, uh, is one way that I view, uh, view the definition of freedom. No, that's, that's good. Um, I think a lot of people think that freedom is being able to do what you want to do, go where you want to go. It's a, it's a song from the sixties. You know, those are the lyrics from it, but I want to add this to it. And I think you'll be in agreement. If you're not, we're going to end the show early. <laughs> with re- with freedom comes great responsibility. It's kind of almost a Spider-Man line. I love Spider-Man, you know. Um, but what I'm going to tell you is this. I think one of the greatest freedoms that we have is the freedom to sacrifice for others. Right, because you only make that choice um, out of your free will. You know, no one forces you, I mean, generally, no one in the context of what you're talking about forces you to sacrifice for others. So you just you just said the word that I really was hoping that we could get to. I, it took me a while to, to bring it out of you, but choice, choice. So can you, can you go a little bit into the freedom of choice that you have in America? Freedom of choice in America. Um, I think, I mean... Look around the country. Look at the you know the lifestyles of people in California. Look at the lifestyles of people in uh, Portland, New York, all over. Whatever, generally, whatever sort of lifestyle you want to live, you can live it. If you want to live out of your car and, and and go surfing every day, that's available to you so long as you can you know pay for gas and and whatnot. I think those choices. I mean, you have unlimited choices. Yeah. Um. In some of the countries in Europe or some of the other countries in the world, the communist bloc, so to speak, uh, China, I don't think those choices are available. Right. So in Moldova, if you were, uh, if they found out you were gay, they would kill you. You know, not not necessarily the government, but just your neighbors. <laughs> you know, not not that that's everyone's choice, but that just shows you sort of the, the lanes, the, you have limited lanes available to you. With the freedom of choice that we're talking about, Tolerance is very, very important. If, if just like you said, you used an example of in Moldova, if you were gay, you might get killed by your neighbors because they don't they don't accept your lifestyle. But in America, we we practice tolerance. At least we're supposed to. I mean, right. that's that's what we hope for. So, um, yeah, I, I guess I'm just trying to say that we we have we have great freedom here, but it's it's not easy. It's not easy. We got a lot of issues here, but at least we're we're hopefully gonna gonna solve them and, and move forward. And um, my my wife likes to say, and I do too. It really all comes down to respect. When it, no matter what else that we do in this life, respecting others. And uh, and then, how do you feel about that? I think now more than any other time in my life, there's a lack of respect from amongst people for other people. I, that's how I feel, you know, when, uh, and again, not to get into politics, but whenever I tell people my political views and whenever I, you know, I feel a lack of (laughs) respect. Um, and I hear that from any, most of everyone that I know, um, from both sides, uh, disrespecting the other side. And I think that's uh, not healthy and I don't think it's going to lead anywhere good. Well, good. So now, now we got about 15 minutes, give or take left. And 
we've done a little bit of background and um, you're, you're a very, very um, free spirit. Uh, you're a self-made person along with your, it's in your blood. I mean, we've established that, that you've got freedom and entrepreneurship in your blood, which is absolutely admired by me. And I hope other people appreciate that. But, but you've chosen to do something with your life that is why I brought you on the show. When we were talking about maybe you could just come on the show and share some of your life and, uh, and you were like, well, you know, you kind of asked me like, why do you want to do that? <laughs> and, 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 I, and my answer to you was, was because you are a very, very giving person to others. And I asked you, why? Why do you give to others? And so that that's where I want to go now is I want I want to get into some of the things that you do with yourself. So to begin with, you've had a lot of people help you. You and your family got here. You immigrated to America. You had the Jewish Family Federation help you. And um, and so you're giving back. But will you talk about what's in your heart for why you want to give back and why you do give back? And then after you say what your reasons are. The name of the show is uh, The Reason to Help. So so let's talk about why we chose to name the show The Reason to Help. And then we're going to talk about some of the worthwhile causes that you support. For me, it's a sense of duty. I, I It's not a it's not a rational act, which is kind of interesting that we call the show Reason for Reason to, to Help. But I never think about it. I just sort of it's almost the conclusion was already there. I just should do this and therefore I'm going to do it. Um, and, um, and that's sort of the, that's the driving force. It's, it's nothing more, nothing less. It's in your blood and you say it's your duty, but right. you have this desire. You, you actually told me, well, you, you, you help other people because so many people helped you. Right. That's right. Right. Concept behind giving back. Yeah. I mean, nobody makes you give back to anybody else. You no. just, you just know it's the right thing to do. Yeah, I just sort of feel <laughs> it's a feeling. Um, and uh, I guess it is born out of my appreciation, right? That's that's the essence of it. Um, being able to look back at life and say, wow, look at all those people that helped me. Maybe people helped me a little bit here, a little bit there, and some people helped me a ton. Um, and I probably don't even know all the people that helped me. <laughs> uh, you know, when I was a kid, when that, which is when we needed help the most. Um, so that's that, that's the feeling. What's so good? What's so good about you, Igor? is that you, you give naturally. It, it's a natural instinct for you. And it's obvious to me because when I, when I met you through that CARES uh, program, the stimulus package, you know, you just made yourself available and, and you, you put out some, some follow-up emails and everybody that, that, that was in the group, you said, Hey, just call me anytime you want, you know, to, if you need any help, et cetera. And so I, I, I caught that about you very quickly. Um, have you ever had, in your travels, um, a need to um, have people accept you, forgive you, and and found that forgiveness is the other part of the tolerance that I'm talking about. You know, uh, we talked about respect, we talked about tolerance, but but I'm a strong believer on forgiveness also. That the past has a lot of things that are wrong. We have to move on, but without a without a, a spirit of forgiveness. Uh, built up resentment and harboring grudges and so forth can, can destroy things. And, uh, sure. and so has that, has that come into play in your life? Um, 
I, so, so my family has suffered a ton throughout the, the centuries and, you know, World War II, the Holocaust, I, most of my family was wiped out uh, with the Holocaust, but I don't feel a grudge when I hear, you know, when I think about Germany, I don't blame, um, I don't hold any grudge there. And I think the re I've come around to that because, um, you have to, I think you have to recognize how people make decisions and that people, most people, most of the time aren't filled with any sort of hate or animus. They, there are a bunch of different, there's a confluence of events around their lives that cause them to do what they do. Um, and I think if you separate the essence of someone from uh, what caused them to do something, you it's much easier to, to, to forgive. And I think that applies even to personal relationships. If you say, well, this wasn't their character, this was the circumstances. Um, if you can do that, I think it helps in uh, a lot of different ways. That's beautiful. So people that take on the, uh, the role of being a mentor to other people. Uh, I think, I think one of the secrets to helping people that are downtrodden is a word that comes to my mind because we're talking about, you know, people that are immigrants come to America that are downtrodden and they need a break, et cetera. But people that have gone through hardship are definitely in the downtrodden category that have a hard time climbing out of the bottom sometimes. Um, and so, you know, Right Thinking Foundation that, that I've put together eight years or so now, um, there's a lot of mentoring involved. And when I meet people that are, in my mind, uh, people that I greatly respect and admire, I, I sometimes enlist them to be mentors to some of the people that I come in contact with. And uh, I don't think there's anything any better than being a mentor to someone that needs a role model because they might not have had the right opportunities in life. Um, people can't see, but there's a video running right now. And on the back here, I've got my, uh, my, my poster, so to speak. And it talks about uh, serving the underserved, the 85%. And uh, my foundation's kind of built on this one premise that I fight for every day. 85% of all the children whose parents are incarcerated currently or have been incarcerated are probably going to follow in their parents' footsteps just because they're born into a family. And I like to say that I won't ask you the question because I'm just going to give the answer because we've got 10 minutes left. But I think one of the most unfair things in life is that children cannot choose with all the choices we have in America. Once you're here, children cannot choose the family that they're born into. And it's kind of the luck of the draw. So one child might be born into a family where uh, one of the parents is incarcerated. The other is, uh, is really, uh, you know, not living right drug addict, perhaps. Now, what's that child's opportunity in life going to be? Uh, born into a family where they get no attention, no proper upbringing. And, and as they grow up, they have to fend for themselves. They get mixed up in a whole lot of things that are dangerous. And before you know it, they're out there uh, on the streets, so to speak. And, um, and so you're doing something, Igor, that's absolutely wonderful. So let's, let's talk about that. Let's talk about Big Brothers and Big Sisters of America, because that's one of the organizations that you dedicate yourself to. So that, that's just so beautiful. So could you talk about your experience with Big Brothers of America? So I work with uh, a young man. Uh, he's 14. I've been working with him for a year now. And um, I got into the organization through a confluence of events that <laughs> isn't particularly interesting. But uh, I was interested in, you know, he's a kid that doesn't have, just as you were talking about, doesn't have much direction. He's got a great mother, loving mother, smart mother. But she, I think she needed sort of a masculine role in the, in the boy's life. Um, 
he could talk to me about, you know, the crush he had or, and I'm, and this is, I, I think how the, you know, how this progresses over time, he's going to be, he's going to have a dilemma. You know, his buddies are going to want to go out and do something bad. Um, and he's, he might text me or he might tell me later and I'll be disappointed and he'll say, okay, well, that was a bad thing to do. <laughs> um, and being able to sort of just nudge him in the right direction over time. And this doesn't happen in a week. This doesn't happen in a month. It happens, you know, by building that relationship that, um, that is what drove me to, you know, to be interested in this organization and to, to uh, work with my little brother. So basically you have taken an interest in a, in a 14 year old because you recognize that he needs a positive influence in his life, that he can have a friend, that he can respect and come to and, and give some big brother. That's why they call it big brother, I guess. Huh? Right. Well, right. And that's, that's the role you play. You play a friendship role. Um, and you're not trying to be a father figure. You're not trying to be a disciplinarian. You just sort of try to guide them. There's a survey done. I, I did some research on big brothers. You, I guess you know the history, but it's been around since about 1905 or something, uh, uh 1904. A guy put it together up in New York City, Ernest Kent Coulter. You ever come across his name? No. He's the founder. Uh, he was in the court system, and he saw that he saw all these kids coming in and out, in and out, in and out. And um, so I, uh, I know another guy locally. His name's Wade Skowski, and uh, he was he was in the court system out in California, and he saw the same people coming in and out, in and out, and he 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 was helping them get their uh, their records expunged. But but then. Then he kept getting somebody, he helped them, and then all of a sudden they're back again. So he started his own organization where he is he's out there just trying to help help people get their records expunged so that they can have more opportunity because they don't carry a criminal record. But it involves a whole lot of mentoring and other things. He's a wonderful person. I want to give you some statistics real quick about Big Brothers. People that are in the program from the ages of, I think, uh, uh, I guess it's five through young adulthood, but, but mostly people that are in the teenage years, 46% less likely to start using illegal drugs. I mean, these are, this is a survey that, that was, that was done by a, a national organization, 27% less likely to use alcohol, 52% less likely to skip school, 37% less likely to skip a class. 33% less likely to hit someone. What I'm basically saying is, is that, you know, I, I try, I believe that character development is the, is the core to all that we can be to, to, to do something good with our lives and to make contributions to society. I mean, I think it all gets down to that basic level. And if somebody has an opportunity to be loved, to be friend by befriended by, by, by a person like you, you're going to change their life. You're going to change their life in ways that, that they might not ever have known, except that it's going to be a cleaner way to grow up and to move. And what about the goals? Some of the conversations you have with your 14 year old, you talk about some of his, some of his future goals in life. His goal is to be rich. <laughs> so what I did when I heard that, he's like, I want to be a billionaire. And I said, okay, well, what, let's work backwards from that goal. So what do you need to do to be a billionaire? And he's like, oh, I don't know. I was like, well, you need to make a lot of money. How do you make the money? He's like, I don't know. I was like, well, you have a good job. How do you get a good job? You work hard in school. Uh, you know, you go to a good college, you work hard in college, you, you uh, go to high school, you work hard in high school. And then that, in that way, I connect the two ideas 
which you know, I connect his ultimate goal, which will change, I'm sure, uh, with positive behavior and steps that he can currently take in order to, to get closer to that goal. Um, and I think that's a big part of the job of a mentor. One of your uh, people that you like to read, you told me you like to read Bertrand Russell. And right. Well, he, he's a very famous person, a mathematician, philosopher, quite a outspoken individual. And uh, I got a couple quotes from him that are absolutely beautiful. The secret of happiness is this. Let your interests be as wide as possible and let your reactions to the things and persons who interest you be as far as possible friendly rather than hostile. I mean, that's a, that, that's a great philosophy. It's like be kind to everybody is what he's saying. Correct. Um, yeah, he's got a lot of stuff. What, what is it that you like about him? Um, I was initially drawn to him because he was a contrarian. He was, you know, all the things that he's, that a lot of the quotes you probably see now ring true, but at the time he was a rebel, uh, in many ways, although he was, you know, a professor, um, a famous professor and whatnot. Um, I liked his humanism. He had some really interesting essays on, um, what it is to be a good person, um, there's an interesting one about the Titanic. I don't know if you, you saw that one. It's, I think it's entitled Nice People. And it's talking about all the fancy people on the deck of the Titanic. And they're all super nice people. And they're super polite and all these different things. Um, but for a moment, they weren't nice when they got into their life rafts. And they had to push the, the poor people into the water. And then as soon as they got just far enough, far enough out that they weren't in danger, they again became nice and polite. And just sort of talking about, you know, you have to be a good person <laughs> the whole time. You can't just cling to being polite. So, You obviously have put a lot of thought and a lot of study into molding your, your, your character. And, and I, think, I think that Bertrand Russell, he is a humanitarian. I mean, he, his humanism is a better word. He, he really, um, I mean, he's one of the deepest people I've ever come across. There's no question about it. I mean, he's a philosopher and everything else, but, but he really, really, um, puts together, um, knowledge and reason and, and good deeds. And, um, yeah, he'll challenge, he'll challenge things. When I read him, I mean, he was very, very deep. So I want to, I want to end the show with, uh, just two things. I always like to bring some scripture out and I got a couple pieces of scripture that I think describe you very beautifully. Um, John 15, 12, my command is this love each other as I have loved you. Matthew five forty two. give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. I mean, you're there for other people. I love that. And uh, Romans 12, 13, share with the Lord's people who are in need practice hospitality. So I, I just think, and the last one I'll give is another Matthew. It's um, Matthew five sixteen. In the same way, let your light shine before others that you, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You know, you you you're a living example of someone that's given of yourself, and I and I thank you for doing that. There's a story that you told me that I want to end the show with, though. That I was asking, what was it like to grow up? You know, a, a young a young child of immigrants uh, that couldn't speak English. And you gave me an example in the grocery store of, of a woman that, that overrang, overcharged your mother when you were with your mother, right? Well, what a beautiful story. Can you, could you share that please? 
I was this, <laughs> I was this little, I, I can't exactly remember my age. I must've been like 10. I was this plump little kid. And, um, my mom was at the store and she was buying things and, you know, she was scanning the items and the woman, the, uh, the cashier, uh, overrang, overcharged her mother for it. And my mom, you know, we didn't have much money, you know, $2 back then was like, you know, a mountain of money. And, and she, she started saying, you know, you look what you did. And she, well, she couldn't say anything. She was completely powerless. And, and this is what we talked about when we talked about the story about how she had, if you can't speak the language, you're just completely, completely powerless. And, and, and um, my mom was pointing at the, the, like, the little screen um, and there's nothing she could do. And I just, I piped up and I said, you know, can I speak to your manager? You know, in my little <laughs> 10 year old voice. And that totally changed the situation. And that's, and I've thought about that throughout my life and the power of being able to speak up for someone, um, which is what I do on a day-to-day basis, you know, uh, being able to represent someone and say, no, 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 stop, stop what you're doing. <laughs> it's not always that, but a lot of times that you you're in that position. So that's a beautiful story. That's a beautiful story. And it, and it really, like you said, you think about it every day, but what, how I know you and the kind of person that you are, that story of, of molding who you are back when you were 10 years old, it, it, it comes all the way through to who you are right now. So what do you got lined up for yourself? What's your goals for the next couple of years? Where do you want to end up? What do you want? Who, who do you want to be when you grow up? Exactly. Um, I like where I am right now. I have a lot of flexibility. I work with people I really enjoy working with. Um, I hope to just expand what I'm doing um, and continue, you know, keeping all the things I like in place while expanding the things that I, uh, that I, I'm, you know, uh, looking forward to. I know that wasn't a real answer, but <laughs> that's. Uh, well, I don't want to disagree with you. I want to accept whatever you say. It, it was, it was a real answer. It was a beautiful answer. And, and I just want to, want to thank you for for sharing some of your life with us today and and like i said i I brought you on to be a role model and if anybody wants to get in touch with you uh i would just say that um uh would you like to put out a uh like a uh any kind of a website or email or anything or i'll just tell them to get in touch with me and then i'll introduce them to you yeah sure if you want to call me at 757-640-7212 yeah. So if you're thinking about starting your own business and needs, need somebody that really cares about you, that's going to get it done the right way for you and, and understand your situation moving into it. Uh, Igor is the guy. Well, Igor, uh, I just want to say as we close right now, thank you again. And we are just so fortunate and blessed that your parents chose to come to America and that you grew up here and that you're living here in Norfolk helping people. And if your parents hadn't come, I never would have had a chance to meet you through Dave Richards. So uh, thank you, Dave, for, for hooking us together. But, but Igor, you're a, you're a great guy. You're a good person. And I thank you for all the good work that you do. And God bless you. And uh, thank, thanks for being who you are. Thanks for all your kindness, Steve. It, it's my pleasure. Well, everybody, have a great week. And uh, we'll see you again next week. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Right Thinking with Steve Copeland. I look forward to being with you again next week. And remember, don't quit. Plan ahead. It will get better. God bless you and have a great week.